Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer of the Star Tribune, joined by coworker and Star Tribune NFL writer Mark Craig, who is the our Pro Football Hall of Fame selector. He's the market's All-Pro selector, NFL honors. The list goes on and on, and we will eventually get to, uh, in a couple weeks, uh, how all that shaked out. But let's start, Mark, with this weekend's games. Um, Detroit, uh, surely this is how you picked it, right? Detroit making it this far? Uh, I was hoping. Uh, first of all, you could ask me questions. I could say, Andrew, I, we can't talk about that. So. <laughs> I always wanted to be able to say that. So, uh, no, but Detroit's a great story. I mean, Detroit, um, I guess the older you get, probably the more you appreciate Detroit because you know, everyone kind of laughing at him during the draft and laughing at uh, Campbell and his, his introductory prep, which he did go over the top, but the biting of the kneecaps and drafting a running back and and a middle linebacker and a tight end or a top three picks. Um, but, but if you look at it, what's the difference between them and the Vikings or them and a team that's not playing right now, it's toughness. It's, it's just lining up and, and knocking someone over. And, you know, Jared Goff is not Jared Goff. I mean, I, I don't, I think I sort of share your opinion of Jared in general. He was a good quarterback, but he's not, he's not great. So he's not, Jared is really, I don't want to say nothing, but, he can't be as good as he is without those five guys in front of him, including Frank Rag now, one of one of us. Um, so yeah, to me, it's a, Detroit right now is all about you know just strength and power and toughness, and they and they got a lot of talent too. Yeah, that front office. Uh, you know, you brought up before we started recording the Brad Holmes video of the GM celebrating in the in the elevator, and that's such a wholesome moment for that franchise. And really, when you talk about their success, yeah, Dan Campbell, Ben Johnson. The, the, but the talent starts with the GM. And so when we get into yeah. talking about the Vikings, um, the Lions have just hit over and over. And, and the difference makers from Sam Laporta, you mentioned Jameer Gibbs, um, Jack Campbell at linebacker, Brian Branch, uh, uh, Alabama slot corner, who's come in and been an immediate difference maker. Boy, the Vikings could use one of those. Um, so I, I just think yeah. they've they've hit on so many, so many spots, Mark. And for them to t- make this... <clears throat> turnaround in three years from it was three years ago right where Stafford gets traded for golf uh, who would have yeah. thought they'd be in this place now yeah I remember you know when, it, when the trade first happened I was like I felt like you know it's good for could be good for both teams but I thought man at Stafford's age and everything I, I thought the Lions did really better and you know getting those you know for a quarterback of that age um who hadn't won a playoff game uh I thought that they, they did well getting what they got. And, but then you got to turn, you know, the, the Vikings also got a number seven overall for, for Randy Moss at one point and could have turned that into, um, they didn't need a quarterback at the time, but they could have turned that into, to Aaron Rodgers. They could have turned that into to any number of those guys would have been a good win-win trade maybe. Uh, but they get Troy Williamson. So you gotta, you gotta make the picks too. And when they traded with the Vikings and we, you know, I think all of us on staff have, have kind of kicked this uh, this tire a few times, but I think it it that what they did in 2022 was so alarmingly bad that it needs to be remind people need to be reminded of you know when they traded with the Lions. Uh, I think initially, I know I didn't. I feel like they got enough to go down that far. Yeah. And now you're seeing just the not only is it you know the the player that Detroit got is is a guy that you know is working his way into becoming a decent receiver, but all the players that they missed between 12 and 32 uh, and then who they picked at 32, you could not have drawn it up 
if you were the the Packers and you you snuck into their room and tried to stick a stink bomb in their draft, you couldn't have done a better job than what they did to themselves. Uh, starting with Kyle Hamilton, I thought I thought it started with uh, um, the defensive tackle that the that the Philadelphia took right after then thirteen, um, and then Kyle Hamilton obviously is an All Pro at, at safety, but. You know, uh, they did have Jordan Addison, a nice, nice pickup, and Ivan Pace is a nice free agent pickup, undrafted guy. But man, if they don't turn it around quick, they'll have no choice but to make a change at GM. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan the passion, the hope, the anticipation, that incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. Yeah, they need... Laughed right now. Yeah, they, they need this 2024 draft class, 2023, to make up for desperately make up for that 2022 class. Mark, we've only been doing this for five minutes and you've already invoked Troy Williamson and Lewis seen you're, you're making a lot of friends among Vikings fans. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I would imagine that, uh, you know, uh, if it came to, if they wanted to answer questions from us or from the fans at this point, when it comes to drafting, I think they'd rather talk to us than they would <laughs> fans. Cause the fans, are, I'm sure at least a little bit I've seen uh, and rightfully so they're, they're looking around and saying, Hey, you know, this is, not only do these other teams have the quarterbacks that they that they want mm-hmm. are still going forward, and and Chicago will either stick with the one they already got or the or just go and get the best one available now. Um, that's that's just uh, one of the problems that the Vikings have. You got to fill in your roster behind those quarterbacks, and they're not doing that either. Yeah, they're not. And and to me, yeah, the Vikings got a lot of work to do. And to me, the the cruelest twist of fate this season for them. Like we all expected Detroit to be to be relevant, right, and be and be good. We saw that at the end of last year, um, but nobody expected Jordan Love and Green Bay to do what they did. And Jordan Love, we were there October 29th or whatever, Lambeau Field, where he looked lost. He looked awful. Um, Brian Flores made put him in a blender essentially. And it, ever since then, they went. I think they went eight and four over their final twelve, including the win in Dallas. What did you make of just the ascension of Jordan Love and and where? now Green Bay stands compared to the Vikings. And, and the Vikings couldn't even enjoy that win because that's when Kirk gets hurt okay. and it felt like a loss in the locker room. Okay. Um, you know, my, my take on it is that, you know, we forget just how, you know, it's getting this more and more like this as, as, uh, as people get more and more impatient. You look at five games or four games and you say, well, oh, this guy can't do it. Or this guy, you know, at that point it was what, eight games, uh, I think. Uh, yeah, eight, that was their eighth game. Yep. About a half a season, and you're thinking, okay, well, because he started off kind of good, and then, then he, he looked t- terrible against the Vikings, and but still, it was a guy that it wasn't a rookie; it was a guy they've been working with. It's a guy who knows the system, uh, and then as soon as that game was over, they took off, and he was, I think, what 23 touchdowns and one interception before he channeled Brett Favre and ended their season with that throw across the middle, across his body into the middle of the field. It was like. You know, I don't know where that came from, but um, yeah, you know, that's, I don't know that anybody else does that anymore. It's, it's, it's so old school. It's, it's, it's grandpa school. I don't know what it is, but where you get a quarterback 
and you and you work with him. And I think, you know, talking about the Vikings, you know, that, you know, I don't know what they do. I, if I knew if, if, if what to do, I, I probably wouldn't be, you know, guessing about it on a podcast. But uh, to me, it feels like they got to they got to get Kirk. They, they got to keep him, but they also have to absolutely come up with the, their next plan because eventually his dead money is going to clobber you. And uh, it sure would be a good thing to clobber you whenever you have a guy ready to start. That's a good point. And, and the Vikings just saw it too, right? They, they saw young or journeyman quarterbacks come in and try to learn this offense and try to run it. And it, it didn't work well, even for Jaron Hall, who was there all training camp. And Nick Mullins obviously was up and down. Um, you know, it's, it's difficult in this system. Kevin O'Connell puts so much on the quarterback, unlike other systems um, where, where that doesn't happen so much. So I think you're right. It, to me, we've heard We've heard from Quasi Adolfo Mensa, the GM, that, that they're open to re-signing Cousins if they can make the money work. We've heard from uh, privately from people in this building in the Vikings headquarters that they like this draft class and may angle themselves to make a move. So I guess I wouldn't be too shocked if they do try to do both. Because, you, yeah, you just saw Jordan Love wait his time, kind of bide his time, and the Packers are that that kind of ex- shining example of how to do this over and over and over again. Um, uh, Favre to Rogers before him, Rogers to Love. I'm not saying Kirk Cousins is any of those guys in terms of Rogers or Favre, but he knows how to run the system. They felt like he was playing a uh, great football before he tore his Achilles. It's going to be fascinating to see what they do with Kirk. Um, so, so you're saying it sounds like you're you think they should resign Kirk. Well, when I look, I mean, you and Ben know better about you know the salary cap and stuff. But when I look at the fact that, that he's going to cost you $28.5 million against your cap if he's not playing for you, I, my, my thing is, okay, pay him and get that cap number down, I guess. But if you're going to do that, this is the time where, I mean, the, the amount of resources that I feel they have to put into this quarterback position is so, it's so heavy on, on all levels. It's that, but that, I think they don't have any other choice. Because eventually his dead money is gonna is gonna get you like the Packers this year, you know, they uh, Brett Far or Aaron Rodgers was counting forty million dollars against their cap this year, but it didn't matter because, you know, they their rookie or not rookie but their young quarterback yeah. only I think ten million on the cap. So you've got to do that. I mean, Kirk's gonna cost you. You know, you, you know, ideally you'd love to see oh yeah, the Vikings win the Super Bowl. It's Kirk. You know, it has no more, uh, not one cent left on his contracts, and then he walks out and retires. But that's probably not going to happen. So, to me, I feel like you got to, you have to do two things. One, you probably have to re-sign him and get him, you know, to play another two years. Uh, but then I think you got to move heaven and earth, whether it whether it includes because teams are so aggressive now mm-hmm. that you're probably going to have to do a number one. You're going to have to give future number ones to guarantee that you can move up and get that quarterback. I would think. Uh, I don't think you can just go, well, you know, we got a guy in the third round and now we're going to try, you know, I, I think this is where they got to try and hit a home run in the draft doing that. Um, and I don't know that they have the people don't run in the draft that can do that. Um, it's trending in the wrong direction. Uh, and, and one thing I'd say about uh, O'Connell is one thing that disappointed me about him, I think, is uh, how he, you know, Dobbs started off initially and was did a lot of things that – you, that he should, I felt O'Connell could have latched on to and really worked with and helped the guy and expanded on it. But 
it went the other way and, and then he was gone and he disappeared. And then I, I think I asked him the last week of the season, I said, you know, what, what happened to Dobbs? And, and it was kind of like, well, he put some things on tape and, you know, people adjusted. And, you know, I'm thinking, yeah, you're the anti Zimmer. You're the former quarterback. You're the offensive guru. Uh, why didn't you have a counter move? Um, I don't know. I, I, I felt like he, that was, that was his moment as a coach to kind of shine. And I thought, after those first two games or two or three games with Dobbs, I was like, hey, this this guy's going to be coach of the year because of what he's, you know, what this this quarterback who just arrived is doing. And then it just it just fizzled so quickly. And I feel like the coach could have done something to to help that out. Yeah, that Atlanta that stretch from November fifth into November twelfth, Atlanta into the Saints, those two wins. <clears throat> yeah, you're right. Kevin O'Connell had you know coach of the year conversations. Um, everybody talking about how he's in Josh's ear, walking him through the routes in Atlanta and all that stuff. And that, that fell apart so quickly. Um, I, I do remember O'Connell talking about how, um, this off season, he wants to put together a better plan for if a Kirk cousins or his starter went down. Cause clearly he did not have a good plan, um, there. And it's, it's a different animal when you're acquiring a quarterback mid season, you don't know him as well, all those things, but they seem to try to fit Josh into the Kirk mold of like, you're just going to run the offense like he did. And obviously that didn't work out. Yeah. And I think initially it was, I mean, this is absurd to say, but there were plays in Denver where if Patrick Mahomes makes that play, you're, you're going, wow, oh my God, this is amazing. An amazing play. It wasn't an amazing play, but like when he went to the sideline, I think it was Denver. Yeah. He goes to the sideline and he's almost going out of bounds and he throws it to uh um, to the tight end for a touchdown. And then I think he had a rush, rushing touchdown up the middle. Um, I don't know. It just seemed like there was like, – whereas Nick Mullins, I think he was limited by the arm strength and, mm-hmm. and Hall, Jaron Hall was just too too raw. But I felt like there was something there to work with because uh, um, with Dobbs, he, you know, he was playing. He was starting every game, knocked me out of a survivor pick with beating Dallas, you know, his only win, I think, uh, knock, you know, but there's just seemed to be a lot more there to work with that I'm thinking. And, and we obviously we all chronicled how smart he was. Yeah. Or it, um, you know, I, he'd be kind of a, I think I, I would refer him as a backup, but if he costs, first of all, Nick Mullins, I, I wouldn't, I'd say, you know, thanks Nick. Uh, but if that's what we're going to get, you know, uh, if you come into the game, I don't care about the 400 yards. I care about him not just having no care for the ball and not having the ability to really throw the deep, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I had made the joke. I think it was like one of Mullen's four interceptions of like, you don't need Jameis Winston as a bridge quarterback. You've already got him. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> and, and one of the, one of the plays where I sort of laughed, I, one of the games where I was watching from home um, was when uh, Addison, I mean, uh, Mullins actually threw the ball. He, he, he led him, he actually led him into the end zone and Addison instinctively stopped and jumped and, then he had to jump forward to try yeah. and catch it and That's catch right. the ball. Cause it was like, he, you know, he, it, it surprised the receiver that the quarterback actually could throw it far enough for him to, to run under it. That's right. I remember that one where Addison misjudged it at the goal line. Um, well, so moving forward here, um, I was shocked to, to hear uh, that the Vikings had two, did, did they have, no, they had two pro bowlers and Daniel Hunter and Andrew DePaula. They had one all pro in Andrew DePaula. Um, and a, and a numerous guys got some, some votes here or there. I think TJ Hawkinson got some all pro votes. 
um, from other uh, places, but you only had Depala uh, among your ballot. You were one of 50 panel members who submits a team that decides these things. So from your perspective, who were the toughest decisions you had to make um, in terms of whether or not to put a Viking on your ballot? Yeah, I mean, I had Depalo as the first team long snapper. I mean, that's such a hard uh, – <laughs> they do provide experts for us, and, and he was second team. And the, the guy I had second team was uh, was the first team, um, Ross Matissic. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, just, just telling you, I mean, we, sometimes when you look at the list and you're like – it tells you how how strong the list by the guys who aren't on the list, like Daniel Hunter, mm-hmm. and I, Daniel Hunter, and I. There was a there was one year where um, I think I don't know if I voted him for for defensive player. Yeah, there was a year, uh, one of his strongest years was defensive player of the year. I thought, and because he had um, just the the pressures and everything, and he's just such a fantastic player. He plays the run. He, he's just such a well rounded player. But I, you know, when you looked at the edge rushers, it was so hard. I I couldn't fit him into the edge rushers, which, you know, I'm always going to be honest. I'm going to be honest with myself and, and, and not like, well, you know, I, cause I watch every game where I happen to like this guy, I'm not going to put him in there. Uh, so the edge rushers, you know, for me, the first team was miles Garrett and Micah Parsons. Well, you know, miles Garrett's probably going to get defensive player of the year or maybe Parsons. And the second team edge rusher, it was, uh, was TJ Watt and uh, Max Crosby. So, it's hard to, you know, you know, Max Crosby and maybe Daniil could, you know, interchangeable, but I, you know, I know that was tough. Um, you said the, uh, did TJ get some votes. I thought he did. Yeah. And I was surprised to see even, um, like Ivan pace. There was some second place votes that some guys got that I was actually a little surprised by. And I thought they might've come from you just because yeah, you've been around, you've seen him and you said, no, I didn't, I didn't put, um, Metellus uh, or pace. I'm going to pull up the Vikings. Cause I did, um, boil down the uh, Vikings all pros <clears throat> in terms of their votes. And I did. I did put Kyle Hamilton in place of Lewis Seen. Ah. Uh, <laughs> well, um, I'm going to get thrown out of town. Here it is. Uh, T.J. Hawkinson got. He was the only other guy other than DePaula who got any first team votes. He got three of them. Um, second place votes. Derisaw got four. O'Neill got four. Hunter got three, Pace got one, Bynum got one, and Metellus got one. You didn't have any of those guys on your second team, you're saying? Wow, you're outing me, yeah. Um, <laughs> not. Um, and, you know, obviously, and I, I, I love Ivan Pace, love Bynum. Um, you know, it was good. Yeah, I, I personally, you know, this was a down year for, 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 uh, for Travis Kelsey, but uh, in spite of Taylor Swift and, and my feelings of how much they show her, uh, I still had him as a first team. I thought he, I thought he, you know, the amazing thing about the Chiefs right now, this is their bad year. This is their down year. Yeah. They have to win the championship game on the road. You know, I, I felt that there was, you know, he was responsible for basically carrying them in the, the past, the, you know, their defense, obviously. But so I still had him first, you know, first team. And the second team was the guy who ended up getting uh, first team. Uh, uh, oh, actually, I had George, I had George Kittle. Uh, so yeah, I think he got first team. Um, so yeah, it's uh, well. There's just there's so many good players, and we've actually you know, they've expanded now where it used to be just eleven. I think you now the you know, first team is now twelve players, which I'm not you know some of us aren't really crazy about. You know, it's like we used to really, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? And then they just went, oh, what is that a player? You know, so 
Um, but it's difficult. Um, just a number of good players. And, and also it, it doesn't help. I feel, you know, whenever you're, you're a seven win team, it, it tends to hurt you. Yeah, you're right. The AP All Pro first team is 12 players and includes a fullback and three wide receivers. George Kittle got first team. Um, yeah. And then Sam Laporta got second team tight end. Yeah, I mean, Sam Laporta getting 10, you know, 10 touchdowns as a rookie and uh, Gibbs getting 10. You know, one thing we found out this year, as much as we want to say the running backs are interchangeable, a good example in the division with what the Vikings ended up overestimating. Uh, their ability to just re- not not saying they should have kept Dalvin Cook. I felt Dalvin was kind of washed up, but just to assume that one guy can just step in and do what another guy does, but between Gibbs and what he did in Detroit and what the Vikings had as a running attack, one of their worst ever, um, tells you that they're not always interchangeable. That if you maybe you take a guy high, he's gonna he's gonna be explosive for you. So he that guy gets ten touchdowns. Their second round pick gets ten touchdowns. I mean it was uh, explosive offense. Yeah, and they they were so awful. You bring up the Vikings run game. Um, that was just probably one of the most disappointing parts of the entire season was the fact that they fell off as much as they did. And they weren't a prolific rushing attack, you know, in the first year. They've been a pretty, pretty mediocre to bad running team ever since O'Connell came here. Um, even with Dalvin Cook, they were not always generating the yardage or the averages that you want. Um but Madison was not a good player this year. Ty Chandler is not a workhorse running back. Um, I, I would have to imagine that that's a position where they're going to be looking at not maybe not just one new running back, but two or three, uh, depending on what they do this offseason. Um, but Mark, when it comes to these Vikings beyond quarterback, what is the position that you think they need to address the most? Well, you know, sort of piggyback and, and, there's so many holes, you know, yeah. so many things that need to be done. Um, but I feel like their biggest, their biggest weakness is their, is their, is how, I don't want to say weak because it's all relative. I mean, these are still strong, big, strong guys, but uh, up front, offensively, defensively, I feel like you got, you know, you mentioned Darisaw got, got the, got picks for all pro and he's going to be a, he's going to be an outstanding player. He, you know, he could be one of those guys that, if the guy in San Francisco ever retires, you know, Darisaw could be one of those guys that becomes all pro multiple times, but it doesn't matter if, if that interior is always, you know, subpar and, you know, the running game, yeah, their, their solution for the running game was to, was Madison who they saw as a, you know, kind of a power back and going out and getting Oliver a tight end. Well, none of that matters if the, the, the interior three, um, lack the, the oomph to get you where you want to go and take, and that takes the pressure off the quarterback who takes the pressure off the defense. So, you know, I'd still be looking somewhere to that interior, those interior three, as much as we want to, we've turned our attention away from the offensive line. I've, I'm looking at Detroit and thinking, man, that's how you control a game is it get the, you know, get some, when your best, your best guy of the three interior guys is a guy that, you got during the season who was sitting at home tweeting out that he was available. I, I don't know. I, I feel like you need to do better there. And a defensive front, I know that they do a lot of different things with personnel and play a lot of linebackers and move things. But I bet you if they had some, some powerful guys up front, they would, they would make use of them as well. So, you know, I'm, I, I just feel like they need more strength on it, both offensive defensive line. 
Yeah, it's it's hard to argue that. The trenches, and you brought up the Eagles defensive tackle that went 13th overall. Jalen Carter might look pretty good in this defense if they had made that pick at 12. Well, and, uh, and the one I was referring to was Jordan Davis. Uh, oh, so that's they, right. I'm sorry. It was the Jordan Davis. did it back-to-back yeah. years. So, yeah, and then you look at – I mean, obviously the Detroit – or um, Philadelphia fell off the face of the earth after going 10-1, and one, but, you know, they, they just kept building that defensive front, building it, mm. building that hurts when you get cherry picked and you're both your coordinators get taken. And, you know, that tends to break a team down. Um, you know, I don't think the Vikings will have to worry about that this year. You know, as, as good as Flores was, I, the way they ended, I would imagine he's not a glamorous hire or an interview that teams would probably um, you know, look, look at. Uh, but yeah, you got to overcome that. But I, I just feel like the strength on this team, you know, just the ability to do what they, like O'Connell says, you know, you're not going to be the, uh, you know, the, like, just turn them, hand the ball to like Earl Campbell and hand it to him 40 times and win that way. But you you have to be able to, uh, to take the pressure off the quarterback and that's, you know, running the ball. And so they have to be able to do that. And however they do that, you better find a way. One last question, Mark, before I let you go. Um, we won't talk about the Hall of Fame class for this year. You're sworn to secrecy. However, the Vikings got a guy who might retire and might have some consideration for the Hall of Fame and safety Harrison Smith. What do you think about his case if this is it for him? What do you think about his case for the Hall? Yeah, he'll, he'll be one of those guys. It's always hard to, you know, to say that, you know, whenever because whenever you're con- you're considering these cases, everything there's a lot of effort that's put into look, looking at it and um but having seen, you know, almost every game that he's played, uh He's going to be in the discussion, which is, you know, it's a, that's quite an honor, you know, to be a guy that's going to be considered, you know, hey, do we put him in the semifinals? Do we maybe bring him to the finals uh, one year? Um, you know, I always do. I joked with him. I said, you just need it. You need like one or two more all pro, you know, because he had the all pro season and he was, uh, you know, he, he was, uh, there was a lot of impactful plays, a lot of interceptions, returns for touchdowns. Um, yeah, I don't, you know, I think. Obviously, at his price, they wouldn't bring him back. But if he wants to come back, and they and you think he's proven that he'll, you know, he'll 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 be team friendly financially, I would think. Um, we might not see the end of him yet. That's true. I, I do think if he wants to come back, he will. Uh, Brian Flores said he made a point to say one of his last media availabilities. He made a point to say, "I want to put it out there. I don't think Harrison's done. You know, we want him back. All that stuff." His teammates um, in the secondary kind of talked at the end of the season like they felt like this was it for him um just kind of off the record some guys were just saying like yeah we you know it's been a pleasure all these things so it seemed like he was training that way but you know mark the 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 best time to ask somebody are you going to retire is right after the last game where it hurts so bad and you do you want to do anything other than that so maybe a couple months of rest and relaxation will kind of rejuvenate him a little bit and and maybe it could also could be you know, at this point, he's not coming back just for numbers or, you know, for more money. He's coming back to, you know, I want to be able to play in the playoffs again. I want to be able to go out, you know, sort of like, wouldn't it be like if, if the Vikings were in the NFC Championship game and Harrison Smith was playing and if they happened to make the Super Bowl, then I think you'd see him with a cigar in, in, the, in the locker room saying, I'll see you later, boys. I'm going to go get my body arrested and enjoy my family. Um, so he's probably wrestling with, you know, if they come back, what kind of team are they going to have? 
yeah, how, how relevant are they going to be? Um, I just watched the Barry Sanders documentary the other day and he made that point too, of like, we were not going anywhere when I walked away. So <laughs> why well, put my body through it? Well, Mark, thank you so yeah. much for doing this, taking the time. Yeah, thank you. Um, please check out all of our work at StarTribune.com. Mark will have coverage of the Super Bowl, the Hall of Fame class coming up, NFL honors. Hey, everybody, this is Andrew. We're going to go solo on some mailbag questions, so let's get to it. Let's dive right into the deep end. Tom wants to know, while I do not advocate this, I do feel the Vikings should explore all options. Would trading Justin Jefferson be enough to secure the number four or number five overall draft pick? In line with that thought, what would Jefferson's value be in a trade for draft picks? Um, Boy, that'd be one quick way to rebuild your draft capital, uh, moving on from your best player. Um, The Vikings need a quarterback is, is frankly the only reason to entertain this question. It's probably the only reason the Vikings would ever entertain such a notion of trading um, the, perhaps the best receiver in football. Um, The quarterback's the most important position. If it can help you get up from number 11 into that spot to get the quarterback you desperately want, I guess I could twist myself into seeing that being a possibility. However, the Vikings are only at number 11, getting up to number four or five. Theoretically, you'd want to give up a future one or another future one, as opposed to the guy uh, who's a future Hall of Famer on your roster. But to entertain this idea, <clears throat> I did the legwork, so y'all didn't have to. A couple years ago, the Chiefs traded receiver Tyreek Hill to Miami for five draft picks, a 2022 first, a second, a fourth round pick, as well as 2023 selections in the fourth and sixth rounds. That's essentially a first, a second, two fourths, and a sixth. And that first that Miami dealt to Kansas City was only 29th overall. Um, It's not like it was a high pick that the Chiefs were getting for moving Hill. Obviously, the Dolphins, it's a similar situation because the Dolphins had to pay Hill the top of market contract that the Vikings presumably will end up paying Justin Jefferson um, when he signs an extension, which is at least $30 million annually, you know, if not just a notch above to reset that market. So that's a relevant trade in terms of what the draft capital could be. Tyreek Hill got five draft picks um, for Kansas City. Kansas City ended up trading up from that number 29 pick to number 21 to get Trent McDuffie, a corner who the Vikings were not in on from what I heard. Um, but has worked out pretty well for them in terms of it was worked out pretty well for Kansas City, I should say. Another relevant trade to look at was the Panthers moving DJ Moore to get up to number one. Uh, last year, the Panthers jumped from number nine to number one. They sent a second round pick, another first round pick in 2024, and another second round pick in 2025. Obviously, Justin Jefferson is head and shoulders above DJ Moore as a player, he's younger younger than Hill as well. So he's going to command, as far as theoretical trade value, more than either of these guys we're talking about. But those are two kind of um, data points that give you at least a little bit of a framework of what those trades might look like. Vikings aren't going up to number one, though, because Justin Jefferson, as much as I doubt them trading him, he's certainly not getting traded to Chicago, who holds the number one overall pick again. The problem with trying to jump up into a top three spot is all those teams need quarterbacks. Uh, The Bears, presumably, if they move on from Justin Fields, the Washington Commanders at number two, and the New England Patriots at number three. 
Um, number four is Arizona. Number five is the LA Chargers. So there's some options there if they end up liking the, let's say, third or fourth quarterback in this class. Um, they could certainly end up jumping up there. Um, I just I don't know why you would move Jefferson to do so. It'd be more like if you feel like you need the haul of draft capital that he would get you in return to replenish this roster. But you acquire draft picks in the hope of drafting somebody like Justin Jefferson, who's going to be 25 years old in June. He's got a lot of football ahead of him. Um, so, you know, it's a quarterback league. Again, the Vikings need at quarterback is really the only reason to have this discussion, in my opinion. Uh, and I feel like they can get their quarterback without moving Jefferson. Also, a rookie quarterback could certainly use a guy like Justin Jefferson. All right. <clears throat> uh, Dick wants to know, no NFL franchise has been more successful with its quarterbacks than Green Bay. Jordan Love credits where he is now to Aaron Rodgers. Prior to that, it was Aaron with Brett Favre. Uh, he says the Vikings are in excellent position to do the same. They should sign Kirk, draft a quarterback, and then let Kirk tutor him for a couple years. Um, I think you're onto something. Not to say that you know this is how I'd go about it, but nobody cares how I'd go about it. Uh, the Vikings really like Kirk. Obviously, they felt like he was playing his best football um, uh, before he went down under O'Connell. Uh, and Odofo Mensa, the GM, has said that he's open to re-signing Kirk. He said, "I like Kirk. I want Kirk back." But and I'm paraphrasing, but he, he essentially said, "You know, it's a two-way street. <laughs> you know, we gotta make the money work." pretty much. So that's going to be the big thing heading into this this free agency period and the combine next month as, you know, Kirk Cousins' agent brings, you know, videos of him recovering from his Achilles injury around to other teams and, and kind of quietly does the work of, of seeing what his market's going to be. Um, that's going to be fascinating in terms of drawing the line uh, for the Vikings. And Kirk, we should mention, Kirk said in one of his last podium appearances of the season, um, he had said that it's not just all about the money. He said, I'm at a point in my career where I made a lot. And he said, it's more about the structure. And I'm reading into it by saying that that means guarantees over the next couple years, as opposed to a you know, one-year deal. And then we'll see in the second year or something like that. I think he wants financial security that he's going to be the guy for a certain amount of time and not get Wally pipped or whatever replaced uh, by the guy that they drafted to replace him. I know Wally Pitt was an awful analogy there, but get replaced. Um, so I think you're onto something. I think the Vikings would like to do that. I think they saw how difficult their offense was to run, as Mark and I talked about. So <clears throat> I wouldn't be shocked if they try to go that route and they're in a draft position at number 11 where you're, you're a lot better off than you were last year in the 20s to jump up and make a move for that quarterback. But boy, does the rest of your roster really need that money that would go to Kirk and really need uh, that number 11 overall draft pick. But quarterback is the most important position, and that's where they're going to start. Um, Sean wants to know, can you list the Vikings draft picks this spring? Uh, Minnesota holds nine draft picks. In addition to picking number 11, they have their own second round pick, 42 overall. Then they have their own fourth round pick. They've got other people's picks in the fourth, fifth, fifth, sixth, sixth, and seventh rounds. So they've got a bevy of late round picks coming via trades that they've made. Their third rounder, they do not have. So they've only got two top 100 picks. Um, their third rounder is in Detroit. That was the pick swap for TJ Hawkinson. 
So that's why the Vikings have two fourth rounders because they got Detroit's fourth rounder and their own. Um, and then, yeah, a bunch of late round picks. So they need to hit, they need a Green Bay type draft, a Detroit type draft. Doesn't that hurt to hear that? Um, to, to really replenish this roster. And it's going to be a big, huge offseason for this front office under Quese Adolfo Mensa. Last question I'll get to here is from Tony. He wants to know, is there any chance Saquon Barkley comes to Minnesota? Um, no. Uh, I, I just, it doesn't make any sense from a financial standpoint. It doesn't make any sense from Saquon's standpoint. They're not going to run the ball enough to, to, for him, nor are they a good running team. So I don't know why he would want to come here. I don't know why they'd want him because they, they wouldn't use him enough. And this free agent running back class is going to be fascinating. It's Derrick Henry. It's Saquon. It's Tony Pollard. It's all the guys that were tagged last year. It's uh, Josh Jacobs. Austin Eckler is a free agent who looked uh, very much like he'd been overused in Los Angeles by the end of his tenure there. Um, I think all those guys are going to be in for a rude awakening in terms of what kind of money they can get, which means they're going to be looking for work. It means they're going to be looking for carries, attempts. Um, that is going to separate some of the low offers that they're likely going to get. Because you remember a year ago, the top multi-year contract uh, that went to a free agent running back, not guys who were tagged, but multi-year contract, was Miles Sanders in Carolina. Uh, David Montgomery went for cheap to Detroit. Obviously, Madison was in that mix. Um, this is a much more talented running back class, but teams are just not paying for them. And, and you're seeing why in terms of fewer 1,000-yard rushers, more committees, the league is changing. And, and obviously a lot of teams are running the ball less and quarterbacks are running more uh, if they're capable of doing so. So I would look a little farther down the free agent list. Uh, the name that jumped out to me and the guy, the player just watching this season was Devin Singletary, former Buffalo Bill who went into Houston as the second guy behind Damian Pierce ended up replacing a struggling Damian Pierce and was one of the most uh, efficient and productive backs in a limited role for Houston in what is obviously a pass, uh, a pass offense under C.J. Stroud. So I think Singletary, he was a guy that signed for $2.5 guaranteed last year. He definitely earned a pay raise. Uh, maybe he wants to stay in Houston, but he produced behind questionable blocking. He's a good pass down back. He would seem to fit, I think, and that, that was just a name that jumped out to me. Um, all right, guys. Well, and I guess I should add, too, that no matter who it is, I expect the Vikings to bring in a new running back, if not two new running backs. I do not expect them to lean on Alexander Madison again next year. He's guaranteed $4 million, or I think it's 2.7, but it's a $4 million guaranteed dead cap hit if they moved on from him. Um, I think he's on the team. I just I don't know what kind of role that's going to be, and I do know this front office and coaching staff is looking for uh, something new, or at least that was the impression we all got at the end of last season. So <clears throat> I would expect the Vikings to be in the running back market, look for them to be in a bargain <laughs> hunting kind of mode, obviously. And then obviously maybe late one of those fifth or sixth or seventh round draft picks could turn into another running back. Um, Ty Chandler did some good things. You saw him produce against a very bad defense in Cincinnati, but I don't think he's got the three down um, kind of promise, or, or at least they're not going to bank on that right now. I would expect them to add quite a bit to that running back group and then have them kind of work out in the offseason to see who, who's going to be number one in that committee, who's going to be number two, and so on. 
Um, Kevin O'Connell's not going to call enough running plays for a Saquon, for for a Josh Jacobs or or a Derrick Henry certainly. So I just don't see them uh, being in that mode um, to to acquire a top guy. Uh, all right, guys. Well, we're going to have plenty more coverage for you uh, this off season. We're going to take some time off um, before we get back uh, and roaring for the combine, free agency, and all that. I appreciate you guys listening. Um, please check out our work at StarTribune.com. If you enjoy reading much more about the Vikings, you will find a lot more of our work there.